Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes, completely eradicating, not just reducing, completely eradicating. I believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for Mondays, not Fridays and get to do their most meaningful work. The aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content, but instead shift the context under which you operate. This podcast is titled Choosing Leadership because that is what leadership is, a choice. In each episode, I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices, which are not always easy and comfortable, but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership. At the end, I will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast. And with that, let's get started. Kurt is the managing partner at Ethereal Innovations Inc. and is helping tech companies accelerate revenue. In the interview with Kurt, he shares his journey from being a young entrepreneur, running a lawn care business to becoming a fractional CMO and a chief growth officer for many tech companies. He also discusses the importance of healthy concentration in leadership and the need to invest in people's growth. He highlights that creating a culture of transparency and openness is crucial for effective leadership, even in remote work settings. Hi, Kurt. Welcome to the Choosing Leadership Podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. Why don't you start by sharing a bit about who you are and what do you do today? Yeah. So for those that don't know me already, I'm, my name is Kurt. I've been a serial and parallel entrepreneur since I was actually 13, but I formed two LLCs when I was 14. And I didn't realize at that time, but I started a path where I, I ended up learning I'm really good at operations and system thinking. Since then, I've been part of more than 60 acquisitions on one side of the table or the other, sometimes as an investor, sometimes buying, sometimes selling. And I tend to be in technology, although not always. And so that's a little bit about my background. I just stepped out of a three-year full-time role with the largest real estate company in the world that did not even exist 15 years ago. So that was my second hypergrowth company. So going from something that doesn't exist at all to how do you make a $2 billion company? Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Can you share a bit more of the backstory, right? What led you to start a couple of LLCs at the age of 14? I think that's what you said. Yeah, taxes. And a dad that kind of kicked me out of the nest a little bit. I had two businesses going starting when I was 13. One of those being what a lot of people start is a, a traditional lawn care business. And I very quickly, I learned that I could sell way more than I could deliver myself. Just into the summer of my 13th year, I, I ended up hiring a friend and then hiring another couple of friends. And I was like, wow, the selling bit is really easy. And hiring yeah. people and get it, making sure they're showing up on time is really easy. But nobody else can figure this out. So I was in a small town in North Alabama 
And my dad realized uh, how many friends I was employing. And I think it was probably eight by the end of that year. And he said, you know, the federal government's going to make you pay taxes. And I had no idea what that meant. I was a stupid 13 year old. And the only thing he really told me was I needed an accountant. I needed to figure out by myself and he wasn't going to help. And so he watched, I'm sure from the background and shepherded uh, me through that. But so I formed an LLC on January 1st of that year in North Alabama for that business. Ended up selling that business actually when I went to college, which I didn't even know was possible. But thanks mm -hmm. to an older gentleman in town that found out I was just going to let it drop to the ground. And so that, that was the, the first of the forays into business. To your dad, right? I think also warning you at the right time, but also then leaving you to maybe experiment and fail on your own. Maybe also a perfect definition of leadership in the world that we live in today. Always yeah, there think, to support. Yeah. Yeah. We never really talked about it before he passed, but he was very protective in a lot of ways. So I'm sure he watched to make sure I was doing the right type of things. Mm. But as far as I knew, he basically said, this is your problem. It's a good problem and you need to solve it. And that's all that I really knew. For all I knew, he was, what I learned later, to your point about leadership, some of the best things I've learned about being a leader is letting people fail. And a lot yeah. of people don't like to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And the second thing you mentioned about sales being easy, right? And, and a lot of people, even people who have gone through B schools find sales uh, actually hard. So can you share what led you to that process? What did you learn maybe before, like any kind of formal business education that was very valuable? At that point, I just stumbled into, I don't know if it was good pricing or just a good pitch. And maybe I, maybe I had a cute 13, 14 year old smile, but I, I have found very much through, through my entire career I firmly believe in cold calling. I think everybody, and you, you could go to the best B school possible. If you're a founder, you need to spend three to six months cold calling and you cannot outsource that to somebody else. Getting notes from your BDRs and sales team that's calling is not the same thing as you, especially if you have two co-founders, one should be calling, one should be listening at all times. And if you can't listen in live, you should be recording those calls because you hear things when you're talking to people, not trying to sell, but seeking to understand. And so that's been my approach about selling is I've done so well at sales with momentum over time because I don't believe that my product is always the best one for you. And so I'm going to call you and tell you why I think what we're doing is exciting. And if, if, if it's not a good match, I'm going to tell you it's not a good match, even if you want to write me a check, if I'm seeking to understand. And I think that's too many people try to sell versus help. And, and so sales get scary. Yeah, I think immediately what I can see is that focuses on the customer, not on you. Yeah, always for me, not that there's not a place to go and sell, but always from a real place like where companies, especially early stage companies go sideways and why I've been part of so many huge growth companies is like getting a no from people. If you understand what's behind it and they're not just defensive, like that's more valuable than getting the dollar. I understand you need to pay bills, but. Once you're eating and you have a roof over your head, you're, the way you get to success is understanding what's really going on with your customers, not just mm. on the initial sale, but customer success calls. When you're, the when, when you're the owner and founder, calling the people and saying, look, I don't want to convince you to come back. You've left us. Can you just give me a few ideas about why you let us go and what else is going on in your business? And then some cases, reward those people. Like I've sent out like gift cards just for people saying, look, I promise, like, I'll put it in the email. I'll put it in an email right now. I'll send you a $100 gift card to take your spouse out to dinner. If you just promise that once it comes in your email, you'll take 30 minutes with me. People are like, I don't understand. I'm like, I just want to know what's actually going on.
Yeah, yeah. And I think that tells me the value of uh, listening uh, because I never thought that you would uh, follow cold calling with uh, a focus on listening, even for your co-founder, right? So many times people do cold calls to just go through the numbers and get those revenues to a particular level. But what you're sharing is that what is more valuable is understanding the customer, understanding what is happening in their life and which will eventually allow you to also sell better. Yeah, that, and that's pretty much my approach to, 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 to leadership in general. Of I know that my customers know more about what's going on in their world than mm-hmm. it, in, in their perceptions to them are reality. So even if my technology could solve a big problem for them, if they don't perceive that it's a problem or they don't perceive the value the way I'm explaining to them, then the reality is my message isn't communicating to them. The same mm-hmm. thing is once you hire a couple people on your team, like the micromanaging is never a good thing. And so the best thing I can do is seek to understand what my product team, what my engineers, what they like share with my engineers, what I believe is actually going on in our customers' lives, using our product or not mm-hmm. using our product. And then the same thing from the, from, from the sales perspective, our customer success perspective. I want to know with those people that are actually talking to our clients, what they think is going on, because the moment you hire somebody, you're not connected to the customers mm. anymore in the way that you are if you're a solopreneur or two-person founding team. Yeah. And uh, can you share the journey from that, those early beginnings to where you are now? How has that panned out and what is it that you're trying to do now? So from the early stages, I did not mean to, but when I came out with my master's, I stumbled into this, I say small company. They were doing 85 million a year in revenue at the time. But in 10 years, we grew it from 85 million year in revenue to 1.44 billion. So while I had some of these early companies that were, I'd done a couple that were on the technology side as well. Like I really jumped into this place but ended up being almost management consultant. It was Mm. spatial data. And so we think about all the places that uses Google Maps or real-time travel. Now, Google Maps is still small compared to this company we ended up taking public and then later sold. And so I jumped into that and I didn't realize at the time I'm good at scaling. I'm really not that great full-time myself at going zero to one. And some found, that's what founders do. And I love advising founders and helping with that. That's why we're talking as well, because that's your audience. But that day in and day out, that's not my passion. I'm the passion with the scaler uh, when it's scaling and finding out, hey, let's talk to your customers. Let's find out what's going on. Let's find out what your team already knows that you think that's not there. And so that's where I spend much of my time doing right now. So I, if I'm full-time, I tend to jump in with, with large companies that usually with billions in their valuation. Right now, actually, I'm helping five private equity companies as a fractional CMO or chief growth officer for them, hmm. helping them figure out, they're all in the technology space, but helping them identify like all of these hidden assumptions. Now, whether you're a two-person team or in the, some of these cases, a 2,000-person team, we all have hidden assumptions that we think we're right about. And we're not making these choices in our business because we, we think we're wrong, but we mm-hmm. are wrong in a lot of them. And that's holding back our growth. And so that's my superpower. And so that's where if I'm acting more as an executive coach, maybe that's a couple hours, you help some uh, founding team. But really, I, right now, I help those five private equity-backed companies. Mm. And can you share a few of those assumptions, which uh, normally people have, which uh, have them like maybe too focused on the tech or the product and miss out on the growth? On the company case that I'm helping with right now, I'd say for three of them, I'm acting as their kind of fractional CMO because they have recently got rid of their CMO and in one of the cases, the chief revenue officer. 
they had the assumption that they were hiring the right people. And so they went out and hired. And so high growth technology companies, they went out and hired what they thought they, a CMO would look like. Somebody with a pedigree that's worked at big agencies, that's run major pay-per-click campaigns, and their growth just hasn't happened. So I look back over time and I was like, so who have you been hiring? Like many of these companies have been in business for eight to 10 years. And it's almost always been the same pedigree after that initial CMO when they got past their founding. And they're always looking for that. Oh, you've worked at an agency, midsize agency or a large agency. I'm like, let's see, you keep hiring the same type of person and you're not getting the growth you want. And every 18 months or so, you start feeling my growth's not there. And whether right then or pretty quickly, you end up letting somebody go. Maybe your assumption is entirely wrong about what a, a, a chief marketer looks like today or even a chief revenue officer. And so that's the pedigree I talked about. That's what most companies and high growth companies were looking for. A lot of founding teams, you go raise a million, five million, $10 million initially, you go, I need to have somebody that looks like this. When that's not a good marketer anymore. It's not a good head of your uh, head of sales either. The best people in marketing and sales, some cases have not been marketers and sales for too long. They're good systems thinking. They may have been a chief architect to some company. They may have been a lawyer. They're people that, that take complicated things and they break it down to systems because so much modern marketing today, it is those conversations we talked about. And so that's the assumption. That's a lot of what I see from my clients where they think a marketer looks like this. They just think a head of sales looks like this. And it looks like something entirely different. Now, from my own history, I was in the board meeting in a company called Vitru, uh, social media management. So many of us schedule things in social media now. Originally, there were three companies, Hootsuite being for the individual manager. And then we were one of two enterprise plays. We believed, and we thought we were right, that we had offices in, in one in San Francisco, a small office, and most of our offices were in, uh, most of our employees were in Atlanta that we need uh, to build satellite offices where our clients were. Mm. So we knew we were right. We jumped in with a bunch of money to the board. We'd raised about 30, $32 million at the time. And so we started hiring people in these local offices. And we got about six months into that and the numbers started saying, not only was it not helping, it was a bad idea. Mm. And so nine months into that decision, we ended up making the decision to the board that we were going to fire people. And so that's a lot of them, the hidden assumptions where things feel right all of our experience, sometimes from the past, we've done the same thing. We go, this is what we should do to grow. And then when you start getting data, you start realizing mm -hmm. that was a bad decision. Now, in that case, and a lot of the other two places where I end up helping, I think that when you approach your team from a leadership style differently, your team will tell you and give you data that says you shouldn't do this, which is a great thing. Like a lot of the mid-level managers in our company at Vich uh, named Vitcher, they knew that those satellite offices were not a good decision. But we didn't put it out to mm -hmm. the public. We didn't put it out in NASA information. If we would have, instead of wasting almost nine months of uh, expenses, we could have compressed the time and either not made that decision at all or started testing 60 days in and mm. LARP that much earlier. So that's what hidden assumptions look like to me. Yeah, yeah. And I think one key aspect of leadership uh, there, what you're mentioning, is that people know what to fix or what is wrong. But often this, that stays hidden or that's very difficult for leaders to uncover. So from a leadership point of view, what can leaders do to bring that level of transparency or, or openness and also not to create any kind of negative friction or cultural, cultural issues around that? Yeah, a lot of it does come in who you hire. In, in the, in, I'll help rewrite the job descriptions for companies that I'm helping. But I, like, I will put in their traits, at least it'll be on a website that I'm on, it's on my personal website. 
I'm always going to hire people that have a bias towards action. That's things you're going to see. They're not cultural traits about, hey, would we like hanging out on the weekend? But I'm going to tell when there's a problem, do you automatically just jump in and go, how can I solve it? Strong opinions held loosely. That's a big deal as well. And then the other thing is I really like hiring for people that believe in healthy conflict because there's no way to avoid conflict. If you're a hundred people in your team, you have to start bringing those three aspects into your team. And you have to do that yourself as a leader. You have to point out to them, hey, I might be wrong about something here. Hey, I, like I have on my agendas for all the meetings I, uh, that I'm in. The last item is, does anybody have a gut feel for something that we may be missing or we may be making a bad decision on? Doesn't mean you have to have it fully thought out. Do you have a gut feeling? And, and I'm going to let that linger for about five minutes in, that, in the end of that conversation. You have to start doing that. And then when these meet, these things come up where you have been wrong as a leader, you need to bring that out to the whole team. Like the more wrong you are, it's really scary because people like as a leadership, yeah. they think you need to be right. But when you've made those decisions, like opening those satellite offices I talked about, you should have an all hands meeting at least once a week. You should bring up and go, here's a decision we made six months ago. And we've now realized from the data that we were wrong. Even if somebody else brought the idea, you need to own the wrong. And then it's going to make your team start feeling like they, they can come to you with ideas, suggestions. And then you start going back to the people as well and, and, and saying, look, I want to know what you're hearing from our clients. And so it's, a, it's an intentional change, especially in remote environments where you have to, set, you have to put this in your one-on-ones. It needs to be part of your agenda items. You need to bring it into one-on-one uh, -on -one times. And then you literally just need to start having conversations with your clients. And when healthy confrontation comes up, that's actually when you reward your team. Bonuses are great for people oh, that, that, that hit numbers. But when somebody comes to you and says, hey, Kurt, you're, you've been being an asshole. That's when I'm going to send you something, send you something for your house. I use this uh, application called Thanks, T-H-N-K-S, Web 2.0. You can't have any vowels in there, but it's, I, I can send reward cards out. Hey, here's barbecue that you can go to with your spouse, your partner, or friends. And, and because I'm going to reward that type of behavior. And then that's how leadership changes over time. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're not just welcoming the bad news. Like normally people would say that is bad news, but you're also rewarding those micro things rather than the end of the year or end of the quarter um, bonus or something like that. Yeah. And, and there's other cases too. How, where you choose to invest in people. I had a gentleman on one of my teams recent for about two years and his name is Spondin. Spondin was great. He was maybe, he maybe had a little bit much on the confrontation side, but his heart mm. was always the right place. And he dove into this. I want to understand healthy confrontation. And so we had a, we had an outside coach that was coming in and he came and said, Hey, I want to explore more what this healthy confrontation looks like Would the company invest in that. Most people will never be like, I'm going to pay an executive coach to just walk you through being confrontation. But I'm like, no, let's go like six months in on this. Absolutely. And he went from being a pretty, like above average performer to being mm. way better in how we approached even me where I may not. Handle, handle those conversations that well. Spawning went so much better because we chose to invest in the things that we value from a trade perspective. Hmm. And I think you also chose to invest in the person's growth, right? That's also key, right? Not just something which they did, but also how they can hone on that and actually become better over a period of time. Absolutely. If you want to grow your company, like you have to get in a place where you're making less of mm -hmm. the day-to-day -day decisions that you're making today. So you're, mm -hmm. you either can hire people into those roles or you can grow your current team. And your current team already knows your business. You know how they show up to meetings. They know how you show up to meetings. Mm -hmm. It's almost always a better ROI to invest in those people.
Yeah, yeah. And talking about ROIs, right? When you talk, start at a place like a CMO or a chief growth officer, what would be some of those like hidden opportunities maybe where you first look at that this could be some of the highest leverage places where if we can do something here that can massively make a difference to your like ROI, your numbers? Yeah, I tend to, one of the areas I, I'm really good at is content generation and ranking on Google. I built from scratch the fourth largest real estate website in the United States and did that in 18 months, ranking for hundreds of thousands of keywords. I tend to be able to come into especially technology companies and see what they've been doing and see a massive room for improvement there. And the good thing is from a SDO perspective or from even from a, a pay-per-click perspective is the data is there to show you where things are not delivering. And so it's one of those things where if the data is not, if you're not in that top 5% uh, that you'd like to be in, it's really clear to say, here's what you've been doing. So we need to do something different. I just happen to have this place to be able to hit a bullseye and invest the money in those areas. And so a lot of times that does happen just from, from pure research and you can dig in, but the research almost always starts for me after I look at the data, I go spend a lot of time with the product team and with the customer team. And they know the areas that they're trying to solve problems for. Usually the marketing team and the sales team, they're either, one, they're writing content that's just completely different than what the real pains are. Or in the sales team, as we talked about, they're trying to sell versus understand or help. Yeah. And as a leader, I assume there is a lot of convincing or like uh, proposing something and then getting people on board for your idea. So how do you manage when it uh, gets a bit uh, like frictiony or, or difficult? And how do you also deal with that uh, relationship? Because I am sh sure you're managing tens of relationships at any given time. How do you make sure that you navigate that in a way that you also uh, are healthy enough uh, and not pressured or stressed uh, to take care of all of that? You have to make sure you have time to acknowledge where you're at in those relationships. If you're new coming in, you get a little bit of grace for being able to be a little bit more heavy-handed to, to ask mm -hmm. difficult questions. Um, but after about 60, maybe 90 days, you're past that. And then it's based on our relationship and how we've interacted over those previous times. So I'm a, I am a big believer in healthy confrontation. And when you have those feelings, I'm a big believer in negotiations or relationships. If I'm sensing that there might be a problem, I want to bring that up on the table and ask. If I feel like you're pushing back on me, you're my chief product officer, and, and we're just butting heads, I'm going to raise up and say, this is how I'm feeling from how you're interacting with me. Is that how you're intending me to feel? Um, I'm not telling, saying that you're the problem. I'm saying, this is how I'm feeling. And it's not, it, whether they say, yes, that's how I intend you to feel because I disagree. Now we're having a real conversation versus passive aggressive. Or if they say, well, I had this gentleman to work for me. I worked with me, Alan Pinstein. Alan and I would often do that. I'd be, Alan, this is how I'm feeling. You're pushing back. And he'd be, he'd be like, that's not how I'm wanting you to feel. Hmm. And he'd tell me how he's wanting me to feel. I'm like, that's not how I'm feeling. And that would lead to us having a real conversation at that point. The other side is, I think everybody just needs to acknowledge. And so if I'm coming into the company, let's be really clear. There's always going to be confrontation unless we're in full agreement. And it doesn't mean we have to always be like 100% like this is the decision. But I like to give the example, if we go out hiking, we come to a fork in the trail, we're both trying to go to that mountaintop. And you think I should, we should go left and I think we should go right. One of us is right and one of us is wrong. What's it going to feel like if you just force me into following your decision and we get two miles down the road? Every mm -hmm. step, I'm going to be like, why are we doing this? I'm going to be just going slow. Even if you're right, 
as opposed to us talking that through and going, I agree, let's go left, let's test it out, let's see where we go. That's the same thing in business. And so not every decision is, is really clear. And if you're in growth mode, you may have three really good options on the table. You don't have a bad option. You only have all three of these are good options. You want everybody agree, we're going to do option B, which means we're not going to do A, we're not going to do C, we're going to do this for some amount of time. And you agree upfront what the leading indicators are, mm -hmm. not the outcomes. Because so often outcomes take much longer than we think. But if you're tracking and you agree upfront of the leading indicators, no matter what area, whether it's revenue, marketing, mm -hmm. product growth, usage of the product, you, here's the leading indicators that will lead us to those outcomes. When you agree on them upfront, it takes away so much of the tension at that point then. Because, gosh, of course, we'd like to hit this sales number. We're not there. But if you look at all the leading indicators, yeah. That, if you wait until you're nine months down the line, you don't have your sales numbers, then you're more likely to make a bad decision to fire somebody, even though you're on a great path. Yeah. And thank you for sharing these two examples, right? I, I think uh, one thing which I'm learning is how you are phrasing or how you're communicating. So rather than saying that you are disrespecting me, that I am feeling. So you're taking ownership of your own emotions and then giving others a chance uh, to have a conversation around that rather than uh, using a statement which makes somebody else uh, defensive. So what I want to ask is this, this is learning. And as a leader, learning never stops. So how have you continued to invest in your own learning and grow into or learn all of these tactical communication skills as well as other skills, especially with the given the amount of change that we have to deal with, especially just the last three years, it feels like a very different world. So how have you invested in yourself and continue to grow and evolve? Yeah, great question. Mentors and executive coaches, that's been a huge benefit to me and my teams over time. That's one of the reasons that I spend uh, steward time to do that for others right now. And being in very intentional on it. I, I've always had teams that work in other cities, other countries, and other continents. Time zones, cultures hasn't been an issue for me. But things shifted so much with COVID and going to that. And so the full remote, I don't know, that for some reason, there was a difference for me anyways, in when I had teams that worked for me in Singapore, in South Korea, and in Paris versus everybody's remote. I don't know why, but there was something knowing that people are walking to an office that was different versus everybody being at home. And so I had to end up really taking some time and talk with other leaders that have worked with remote teams and go. Let's walk through what worked well in a remote team um, when we had offices and how that adjusts to when you're working out of your house. Because it is very different. When there's 20 people in an office in Veldhoven, Netherlands, I'm talking to different people and you are all interacting. And so I learn a little bit about what's going on with you when I'm talking to Keith on the team. And so when we're all remote, we don't have some of that same uh, personal interaction. And so... I've had to really put in place some systems to, to be much more intentional. Uh, but by doing that, wow, the productivity has gone way, way higher. Can you share a few of those systems which uh, are required, especially in the remote setting? Yeah, so um, I'm much more intentional with one-on-ones now than I ever was before. Using tools like Lattice, 15.5, CultureAmp that help enforce that. And while they might come from the HR team, it's the executives and the managers that, that make those things live or die. And so that helps who on your teams are having these one-on-ones or not. One-on-ones are so important, especially then coaching people how to have conversation. I was always really good in having one-on-one -on -one conversation. 
but I traveled to my teams in other countries so we could have this time together. When it became just remote, fully remote, I had mm. to be much more intentional using some of those tools to come up with the, co the topics that I want to make sure we cover on our one-on-one because that's mm. different than let's go to lunch or something. On the other side, I actually do things so I nominate somebody that's not on the people team, so not an HR, because culture needs to come from the organization and people team shouldn't drive culture. Too many companies that they do, but the culture comes from the people that are doing and yeah. HR are helpers to me. They're not the people building the product, selling the product. And so I have somebody like I, in my last company, I had my product marketing manager that every other week he led a one hour uh, virtual social hour for the teams. Mm -hmm. And so depending on the size of the team, sometimes you, you break that up into multiple teams. And, and then every like three to four of those, we would do something special. I had a magician come in and, um, and, and do, it's like, this is, this is kind of have fun. We had a virtual petting zoo. And then, oh, I had somebody that came in. You have to, and you, it takes time for somebody to go out and find these. Somebody that came in and over an hour and a half, they did very basic levels, sign language introduction for us. We all learned together. It was a fun environment. This is what the person does for exposing American Sign Language to people. So many people asked us to do that again. When you spend that time that when you're in an office that just naturally happens, hey, let's go to lunch together. Hmm. You have to still find time to do that as a remote team. And almost nobody does it. But when you do it, it yeah. unlocks growth. Absolutely. I think it's too easy to get caught up in that. Like we are remote, so let's get transactional and let's get working. And we miss out on these uh, things we normally consider, don't consider work. And by being deliberate about it, uh, even in things like having fun, how much it unlocks, right? Because if there was ever a need for uh, like soft skills or human to human skills, they're even more required when we are not face to face, right? Rather than earlier. Yeah, it makes things so much easier. And, and especially like on those special like happy hours or social hours we do, a lot of times they were things that, that people could bring their kids with or sometimes a spouse into because we're all people. We have other things besides work going on. And you want to provide environments for people if they feel safe to mm. bring their family and their, their, their life into those things. And then you don't always get it right. When we mm. first did those social hours, the gentleman that helped me set them up, he and I chose, we would do them at four o'clock Eastern. Most mm. of our people are in the United States. And then, but our, the attendance wasn't all that great. So we went out and asked some of the people, about, the, we specifically asked those that didn't show. And a couple of people on the team, they just didn't see the value in it. It was like, that was going to be hard to get them to come and I'm mm -hmm. not going to force you to show up. But on the others, it was a time thing. We, it was the end of our day, but it was the middle of the day for the people in California. Mm -hmm. And so we just shifted the time. And so it ended up being their morning and it being a, our lunchtime. And we shifted instead of being Friday, we were trying to be like, I want to be done for the week. We shifted it to a Wednesday or a Thursday. And by changing the time, it, people showed up, they interacted better, later mm -hmm. meetings worked well. But then we also listened. We we're like, now that we're shifting in the middle of the week, the engineers started saying, what do engineers want? They want focus time. So we had to create two days in the week where there were no meetings. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think context matters. And sometimes the time of the day or the day of the week can change a lot depending on the kind of meeting that you're trying to have. If people are waiting to just wrap up their Fridays, it's maybe not the best time. And it's so easy to miss that in the virtual world. And, uh, and so we were seeking to understand, as I talked about, and like mm. we knew it was the right thing to do. We just implemented it wrong. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So we can continue, I think, forever. But I would also like to bring it this to a close. 
And as we wrap it up, I think you seem to be a person of varied interest, like not just business, people, leadership. So can you share something else which is uh, interesting, which you do, which most people are, are not aware of? And, uh, from a hobby perspective, I do, since I like systems and things so much, my wife mm -hmm. and I own a bunch of land. And so I've been building hiking trails for the last uh, seven years at this point, which is incredibly fun. And I've also now realized I'm going to start some retreats in the first quarter of next year. How many of us that are knowledge workers, we don't have things that we do with our hands. And so I've had dozens of people say, can I come help you do that or do something else on property? And so I'm like, wow, I'm really amazed at how much myself and others, we need to do something where it's not just knowledge work. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, that's a wonderful idea. And, and what's the motivation? What's the inclination? towards doing something with your hands or building a retreat center or like hiking? What's, what's I've inclination? always liked hiking and being outdoors, but mm. since we have a lot of land, I actually just thought like, like nobody but me will walk across this more difficult part of our property. What would it take to put a trail in place? Mm. And I just started working towards that. So heavy equipment does help a little bit, but a lot of it is just manual work. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Bart, for everything okay. that you shared. I think this was uh, wonderful. And before we end, right, for anybody who is listening, I think you will make a lot of people curious. So what is the best way for them to find you and uh, find out what you're up to or reach out to you? Yeah, my personal website, Kurt Euler, UHLIR.com. A lot of the concepts we've talked about were around servant leadership and unlocking mm -hmm. that hypergrowth. And I have a lot of free content on my site to help people with. Perfect. Thank you, Kurt. And I will make sure to include those links with the show notes. And as always, I will wish you all the best for everything that lies ahead for you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction. Not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you to help you see your own light to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.